those of you who have been following us in the book of Psalms will see how the, the Psalms are, are somewhat of a roller coaster. You'll see a, a dip and then a rise, a dip and a rise. You'll see David on the mountaintop. You'll watch him go into the valley. And, and really, one of the things that is so wonderful about the Psalms is it speaks to us about where we find ourselves. And I think it's easy for people to think, well, they don't get there. But one of the things we learn in the Christian life is we all get there. And this was what David is really sharing as a king, is yes, we've been up in the mountain, but yet we go down in the valley. We have that great triumph, but yet we go through, just like Paul was saying, we go through this, uh, this warrior affirmation because possibly we're even fleeing or running from the enemy. And David begins in, in Psalm 36, and as he does, he, he pulls out uh, those that are around him again. But we're going to see a lot tonight about God and how big God is. He says, transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. And David is acknowledging that in the middle of ungodliness that surrounded him in Israel, as it surrounds us in Surprise, Arizona, it was a heart issue. It wasn't, we'll be looking, we'll begin to see symptoms, but at the root of every condition is a heart problem. And David begins and he says, transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. Now the heart can't be seen, it's out of sight. But the fruit of the heart is manifested, and David begins to acknowledge this. But notice the companion of a heart that is ungodly. As it says, there is no fear of God before his eyes. They have lost the fear of the Lord. A heart that is ungodly will never have a godly fear. A repentant heart will have a godly fear, an awe of God, a reverential respect of God, an acknowledgement that God is great. He's, he's amazing. He does amazing things. But you see this companion, and David is, is bringing this out, but at the root of the problem of no fear of God is a heart problem. And this is what the Word of God speaks of throughout the Bible, is that the root of every condition of mankind is a heart problem. Our heart has turned from God. And then as a result, here comes all the symptoms of a heart moving from God. And, and it's one of the reasons you'll find even in the Psalms, David will, will often pray to God like, Oh Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Lord, I want that heart. Because oftentimes what we all do is we start with the band-aid. We start with the patchwork. But the Lord is speaking always of something dip, different, deeper, unseen, out of sight in many ways until he reveals it, that the problem is really the heart. And David is acknowledging this, and he shows what the result is, and that is there is no fear of God before his eyes. For it flatters him in his own eyes. And concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. 
And here it seems to speak of David saying, a person who's living a sinful life, whose heart is not right with God, is kind of enjoying that. You know, it speaks in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 of how it was with Moses that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But there is pleasure in sin. It will flatter the heart. The Word of God says in Jeremiah, the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Our hearts deceive us. And the ungodly person that's out there saying, I'm getting away with it. I'm able to do that. No one knows. Is really being deceived in their heart. They are not, they do not recognize what has happened to them. And the word of God even speaks about those that will go out in the last days. And I was reading this this morning in my devotions. They will deceive and be deceived. As they are deceiving, they themselves are deceived. It's just an interesting part of deception and how it works. And, and if you notice, again, we see what is coming from the heart in verse 3. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. Now, this is not the root. At the root is the heart. David has acknowledged this in the very beginning uh, with as, as he begins the first part of this, but out of this comes wickedness, all kinds of bad behavior, you could call it. Tricky, messed up stuff. But also, as you, as you follow this with us, there's another part of this, and that is deceit. And deceit is an exceedingly deadly part of sin. Because often the person that's caught in deceit is deceived, deceived themselves. They're able to get away with it, or they're able to put on the right show or the right air, and they do not recognize how deadly deception really is. And notice again, we're seeing the symptom of a heart that is ungodly, that's turned from God. He has ceased to be wise and do good. He loses the heart of wisdom. Wisdom flees an ungodly heart. Godly wisdom. He, might, he may be a very intelligent person, the other day on our, in our trip with the family, uh, Rod turned on one of these uh, YouTube of someone taking on Ken Ham in, in the creation research area of Ohio. And this guy did not believe. And this guy was just challenging everything Ham was saying. And I, I listened to him. He was articulate. He was intelligent. You could tell he was very educated. But his heart had moved from God. There was no acknowledgement whatsoever within his life of, of God, nor was his heart speaking of God. And with each of us, as we look at this and we, we look at the movement that goes away from God, there is, David's going to bring us here tonight because there is a place in every life that the Lord calls us to self-examine our lives. And when he's asking us to do it, he's not talking about symptoms. He's saying, look at your heart. Where is your heart? And he gives us a spiritual microscope to look into our heart, to see where our heart is in relation to God. And in verse 4, he says, he plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. 
And as, as you follow this with us tonight, you'll see that David is, is recognizing that which is around him in Israel. But there's another part of it that you begin to sense as David is speaking. It's hurting David. You see, sin hurts a lot of people. It doesn't just hurt the participant, but sin is like a knife that begins to cut sharply and poke and jab, and it catches people everywhere. And a person will say, I can just sin and bear the repercussions or let the Lord Jesus Christ. No, we hurt our wives. We hurt our children. We hurt our grandchildren. We hurt, we hurt our churches. We hurt the people we work with. That knife just keeps cutting. And David uh, no, if you notice, he, he says he does not despise evil, this person. Now the word, uh, when we think of despising evil in this setting, David is speaking of that abhorrence, recognizing it isn't sweet. It's nothing to laugh at. It's not a joke. It's nothing to crack a funny about and everybody laugh. And David is coming to this point and saying, this is what is around me. Now remember, all these things David has brought up are really symptoms of a heart that is moved from God. At the, at the core of sin is, is a heart that is moved from God. And David came to that point even when he committed the sin of Bathsheba and he cried out in his own repentance to God and he said, God created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. Yes, there was a symptom but that wasn't the root problem. The root problem was what happened in David's heart before the sin was ever committed. It, it's, a, it's a very subtle thing because so often uh, our heart is, is, a, can be, is a very beautiful part of our spiritual being. It is that inner spiritual part of us that connects us to God. It helps us to hear him, to walk with him. It is the part of us that is a part of that fellowship with the Lord Jesus in prayer and communion. But it's also the part that if it is not checked, it moves, it drifts. It moves away from God. And here David is speaking of this as he spoke with these wicked. You know, I was thinking... Uh, we, we purchased an orchard, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago in Washington when we were involved in orcharding in Washington. And I'll never forget, there was one block of fruit that was just magnificently beautiful on this orchard. And it was golden, delicious trees that had huge trunks in them that were about, I would say, close to three foot in diameter. And these trees were absolutely gorgeous. And you could... Uh, you would watch them and think, well, this will be amazing when the fruit comes on. And the fruit came on, but all the fruit on those beautiful trees when the leaves were there were just little tiny pieces of hardened fruit. We thought, okay, we'll try it one more year. That's what you do as an orchardist. We will try it one more year. We will fertilize it. We will spray it. We will water it. We will prune it. We'll do everything it takes to bring that out. And the next year, guess what it was? A little, tiny, golden, delicious apple hardened that cost money to raise. Now, the problem was not that little apple. The problem 
was a root structure that was so old and decayed, and this condition called phytophthora had worked within the root in a fungus, and it was breaking down the tree inwardly. And all that was left to do in that situation was take out that whole block of fruit. And that's a groaning, that's an, that's an agonizing thing in orcharding because it's so expensive and it takes years to bring back production. And you're giving up so much that you thought was going to be there. But the choice is, are you going to keep doing that and seeing little hard pieces of fruit or are you going to pay the price to start again and do it right? Now, there's a great spiritual lesson that God has taught me in, in, that, in the years in orcharding like that. And that I would look at that and I think, this is amazing. I'm agonizing. How much is it going to cost? Now, this will kind of blow your mind, but you know what it takes to, produce, to bring a, a, a new acre of fruit? That's 43,563 square feet into production. About $50,000 in today's world. That's all the water, all the trees, all the training, all the waiting, all the spraying, all the pruning, everything, about $50,000. That's intense planting of fruit, V trellis or, or a vertical trellis. So it's an agonizing thing. But until you deal with the root condition, you'll keep looking at the problem. And David and this is so true in all of our lives. I mean, I think every one of us, you come through New Year's, okay, God, I'm praying, and I don't want to do that again. It could be, don't help me not to sin with my lips or with my heart, my lust. But until we go to the root, we will still look at a little decayed piece of fruit. And David here turns to the solution because the, 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 the real message of the gospel is you can't deal with the root, but God can. This is what the, the gospel teaches everywhere you turn. You can try. You can make a lot of resolutions and say, we're going to do it. This, this time we're going to make it. God can, we can't. What happens is by the end of the year or by the end of you can spend your life trying, and you'll still get this little crunchy piece of fruit until God takes over. And as David turns here in verse 5, he begins to speak of God. And I love this because it's a place really, I think, in our Christian lives, you think about places just to get lost sometimes and just stop and say, God, I just want to major in this for a while. This is what David would do. He was surrounded by evil. He recognized a heart problem. He realized how it was impacting others. It really hurt others, and it was even hurting him. This is a challenge today. We can become so insensitive to sin that it no longer cuts. It doesn't poke us anymore. Oh, well, that's just how it is. And cynicism sets in, and that critical spirit sets in, and pretty soon we lose the heart of sensitivity towards sin. But notice what David does. He just stops. And I love this because it is a beautiful example of something that every Christian has the privilege to exercise in. When we come to these places, we're overwhelmed by evil. We're surrounded by darkness. We don't see light at the end of the tunnel. We don't know which way to go. 
And you know, one of the greatest things to do is simply major in focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just major in it. Now, David, at this point, wasn't seeing Christ, but he was seeing God. He was seeing God working. And notice what he does here. He says, your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. And here it is that David just opens up and he says, God, 218 times in the Bible, this Hebrew word is used. God, your loving kindness just goes all the way to heaven. You see how, you see how God is working with him. He says, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And once again, David is acknowledging God you are so great. Your love is so great. Your faithfulness is so great. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. And once again, David is just speaking of God, as I see you in kindness and love and righteousness and faithfulness, it's like God's mountains. And there is a place, and, and, and you have been here, and I have been here, many of you have been here, and if you haven't, it's a good place to go. God takes us through these trying times. Okay, They can be very difficult, whatever they are. And no one escapes them. If you're a child of God, you're going to suffer. We looked at that a few weeks ago. But we do have this privilege in trying times to say, Lord, help me to reset during this time and focus on who you are and how great you are and how much you've done. And as that starts happening, big things start happening. Our whole perspective on the trial changes. Our whole perspective on life around us changes. You know, there's that little phrase that says, two men looked out from the prison bars, and one saw mud, and the other, he saw stars. And that's how it is. You got this choice out there. And you have this privilege, but David was choosing to focus on the Lord. Now, we talked about this also a few, a few weeks ago, the privilege of choosing to follow Jesus, to follow God. But Lord, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look at, if you notice with me, I'm going to look at your loving kindness. I'm going to look at your faithfulness, your righteousness, your judgments. And then, then oh Lord, you preserve man and beast. Your preservation is amazing. Now, David, as he looks here, you can't look at God very long till you begin to see the effect of God, Okay. You can look at God and say, well, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to worship God. He's on the throne. He's in his heavens. He's created the earth. But you will begin to see his effect. Just like when you focus on the tree, eventually you're going to come to the root, okay? Now, look at this a little different here. We're looking at God, but now we begin to see what happens through God and with God. And in verse 7, here he comes. How precious is your loving kindness, O Lord? You see, it's just not about loving kindness in a box. It's the preciousness, of, the preciousness of loving kindness as his loving kindness flows to us. God gives us the greatest presence we'll ever receive. He just opens them up. They're yours. Enjoy them. But they're called loving kindness, and David was seeing this. Remembered, he says, your loving kindness, verse 5, extends the heaven. But now notice what he says. It's, your loving kindness is precious, God. It's something very much to be treasured. You know, sometimes we look back on Christmas and what we got and maybe what we didn't get. And 
There were times as a boy growing up, you know, my parents, like some of you, and we didn't have anything. My parents would say, all we're going to get you is one little present. And that's it. I remember one time that all I had was this little shoebox. And that's all it was was a shoebox. And I'd shake that thing with my brother. We both could shake the box. And, and we'd shake it, and there was nothing really there. Till finally, it was the biggest present I knew for years and years. We opened it up, and inside was a little teeny piece of paper that said, your new Huffy bicycles are in the garage. And we went out there and got those. Now, often, when we think of God's loving kindness and God's gifts to us, they won't first catch us as amazing. They will not catch us. We're looking for something different. But when he begins to open it up, and we let him open it up, it will overwhelm us. Because this is who God is. And this is where David was. He talks about his loving kindness. But then notice what happens. It's not how precious is it, but notice how far it reaches. The ch verse 7, the children of men take, the, take refuge in the shadow of your wings, Lord. God, you, you have great arms. You have great wings. And the children of, of men will take their refuge under the shadow of your wings. I wonder, oftentimes I wonder, you know, when we get to heaven, what will, what will heaven really reveal to us? And I've wondered many times when, when the Word of God says God wipes away every tear from the eye, I wonder if some of those tears will not be just a realization of really how good God really was. There is no one that roots for us like the Lord. It doesn't matter where we've been. It don't matter what we're going through in our life, our family, our friends, our job, anything. God roots for us. He really does. And there's a verse in Jeremiah. Many of you know this. It's, it's, it's a great verse to memorize. Jer Jeremiah 29 and 11. It's down one for, for video. But God here is speaking. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. I know what they are. I plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. And to see God as someone that just wants to bless. I, I get this picture that God can't wait to show us heaven. He cannot wait for us to walk through the gates and say, look at this. You know, I, I, one time I read a story about this guy that uh, got to heaven and, and uh, died somewhat early, but quickly, and he got to heaven and all of a sudden, one of the angels was showing him around. He says, this is better than I've ever, I ever imagined. Matter of fact, he says, if I would have ever known it was so great, I would have wanted to get here early. And the angel said, well, you would have gotten here earlier if you wouldn't have been eating so much oat bran. And we don't have a clue what's over there and how great it is. But also, oftentimes, we miss how much God wants to bless us here. He really wants to bless us. And oftentimes, uh, this heart restricts his blessing because he wants the heart to turn toward him that he can just bless us. And But blessing comes differently also than we think. We think, well, blessing will come through whatever, better job. That's not where God's coming from. 
It's going to come on the backside. It's going to come around a different way. God has an amazing way of bringing the different side of blessing to us. Um, it was just interesting. I was busy enough that Debbie was putting together a trip to, to uh, South Carolina for months, and I would just see her on her phone, and the girls, they have, our girls' daughters, they have Instagram and Rumble Gals and all this stuff, and, and I really wasn't paying too much attention. I was kind of thinking, wow, really, to be, to be truthful, I was trying to figure out, because I don't sleep that many hours, where, how I could ever peacefully get up and find a place to read the Word of God early in the morning. Because I had a picture of just, but it just worked out tremendously. I mean, just everywhere we turned. It was just a blessing. The children were happy and joyous and, and how, God, how beautifully it came together. And we left and told them goodbye and said, we, we'll never be like this again. This is a little window God gave us in our little family. Uh, you, you're all getting our oldest one, Ryland. He's 19. The little guy, Easton, he's, not, he's just coming up to one and everything in between. And I, when I say everything, I mean everything. There's tremendous energy there. But out of it, where God chooses to bless, we don't foresee. And oftentimes we might see like, okay, got to go. Wow. God turns around to bless. And if we'll take the time to catch the blessing, to sense it, it'll be amazing. Because this, and this is what David, and, and David had time. You know, sometimes today with all of our media and everything that's there, we, we lose that moment to capture God. We lose the moment to just enter into his presence, to find him in a very special way. Because we got that email, we got that phone call, all the stuff. But, but David here is saying that he, they're going to take refuge in the shadow of the wings of God. And Psalm 91 is beautiful. Uh, this is Debbie's favorite, my wife, 91, 1 through 4. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Remember, God's blessing is under a shadow. We know all about the power and the necessity of shadows here in Arizona because of how hot it is when that sun comes screaming at us. But it says, in the most high, you're going you're gonna to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Notice what David is doing in the shadow, though. He is turning to God, like Paul was referring, a, a warrior and saying, Lord, I'm going to say this to you, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. God is the deliverer. And that's one of the ways he blesses us. He will cover you with his pinions. There's other translations there that say he will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings, you may seek refuge. Another translation says, under his wings, you'll trust. Notice it doesn't say under his wings, you'll see. It doesn't even say under his wings, you'll be able to explain. It says under his wings, you'll trust. You'll trust under his wings. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. 
And David, will, we would come to the psalm, this psalm later, but this uh, he is a, simply saying God is so faithful. His wings are so encompassing. Some of you are leaving before long. I see a, a sister who's leaving, who's going to minister to parents. And no idea, really, many things that will happen, but we do know one thing. This is still true. God will protect, shelter, and bless. Notice in verse 8, it, 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 David is still speaking of the blessings. He's looked to the Lord, though. Notice he began to look at the Lord first, and then here came the result. He sees all this result. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. And here David is just simply saying, you remember, you remember the psalm, the, one of our favorite psalms, probably the most favorite of all, the 23rd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he says there, my cup runs over. One of these young people today was quoting that psalm to me at church. And, and I thought, well, what a great thing. That, that psalm is so amazing because when God blesses, he doesn't just fill the cup. It overflows. God's blessing will never be able to be contained with us. God's intention of the blessing was never for us to hold it in. It is to flow through us to other people. And this is how he works. And you will give them to drink of the river of your delights, is what David is saying. So there is blessing, there's abundance, they're drinking of the river of your, of your delight. And this is really like saying, drinking of your favorite river, God. The best water, the most refreshing, uh, the greatest place to be. For with you as a fountain of life, and in your light, we see light. Notice what David says now. He's kind of came around and said, but God, you're the fountain of all light and life. And in you is where we see life and light. And it's just beautiful to see this and, and see how, but notice where David did begin. He began surrounded by enemies and all kinds of darkness. And then he turned and he looked to the Lord and he just began to acknowledge how great God was. And he began to see, God, you're great. Your loving kindness is great. You're just overflowing. And now he's ending. And he says, for with you as a fountain of life, Lord, everything I have is in you. We, have a, we sing a song like that. In your light, we see light. And here David was experiencing, sensing God's light that gave him the power to see light. Notice that. Sensing light gives you the power to see light. You know, we were blessed. Some of you were too. I, I look back at Christmas at people in my life that uh, deeply impacted me. And one was a grandma. Uh, she's long gone home to, to heaven. But that woman, I never heard her ever in my entire life speak one evil word about anyone, ever. I saw her call out us boys and say, boys, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything. We're kind of challenging each other, went to fight or whatever, wrestle like boys would. But out of it, she saw good in the best people, the worst people that you could ever imagine. She believed in them, not because of who they were, because she saw the light of Jesus and his possibilities in their life. 
You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I, I'm just going to, he says, there came a time. I, there was a time I knew people after the flesh, he said. But there came a time I no longer saw men after the flesh. I saw them as new creatures in Christ Jesus. And what he was saying is, I can look at other people and I can see what grace can do and does do in their life when given a chance. And I can find that light in them. You can go into the corporate world today and the largest corporations, sit down with an executive and they'll say, how do you draw the best out of people? You find the best in them to pull out. And David is saying, in your light, we will see light. And here he's saying, I'm looking. And once again, it is the privilege God gives us to see good, even when there's evil around. It's a blessed privilege. Uh, God's children, it's so easy. And I think it might be one of the great indictments in the Christian church. And I say this at large, not calling out. But I think the Christian church stumbles in the area of a critical spirit about as much as any one area. And the others, are, there's these others, but we just fall into this trap of being right. And God says, I don't want you there. I want you to see light and life. I want you to go out there and see good and what grace could do when given a chance. You know, that was what Paul saw, if you remember with me, in Barnabas. Where Barnabas saw in Paul. Paul was the persecutor of the church. He was a guy that had messed up everything for the church. And Barnabas came along and he looked at Paul and he saw what God could do in this persecutor's life if grace would overcome him. And he gave him a chance. And God asked us to do the same thing. Give him a chance and he'll write a gospel. Give him a chance and he'll plant churches. Do you know we have people all around us in this community that have the same opportunity? Some of you are people like that. I've witnessed it in your lives. Reaching out there, willing, seeing good in other people and be willing to draw that out to the glory of God. And here, here David is just simply saying, in your light, God, we'll see light. You see, when we, you know, there, there is another verse I want to give you in Timothy, because in Timothy, he says, to the pure, everything is pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, there is nothing pure. Their own mind and conscience is defiled. And so finally, everything's suspect. Everything's questionable. But to the pure, like my little grandma, everything was pure. You know, you know, you know how she witnessed? It's, it's crazy. I mean, uh, she probably, she opened her Bible and believed that where she opened her Bible is where God said she was supposed to read that day. But you know what they had in those days? A railroad track went by their house a quarter mile away, and there was a little arrow at the, at the, at the, on the track that pointed that way. And some of you that are a little more mature here, I'll say it that way, would remember the hobos. And the hobos would have a stick and a a bag, and they would carry that, and they'd jump on the trains and go down the track. And as a little guy, I can remember those hobos coming to the door and knocking on the door, and I thought, why did Grandma get all the hobos? And then I, I, then I realized one day why she did. It's because the hobos told other hobos, who told other hobos, and they put a sign out there at the railroad track and says, that's where you can go get food. Now, that's ministry. We can talk about all kinds of ministry, 
But when God gives us hands and feet, he's saying, go out there and in the, in the life the Lord Jesus Christ gives you, see light. See light. You've got all kinds of options. And the enemy says, see darkness, see despair, give up, quit, throw in the towel, put your finger out there and blame everybody else. But the word of God says, and this is what David said, he says, I will see light. I will look out there and choose to see light. And I think some of you can relate to this, and, and I can very much also, I can remember the time, the first time as a long-haired, rebellious, rebel, smoking, drinking, partying kid, walking back into the church for the first time, I had no desire to go back in church. Hair down to my shoulders, and one old pastor come up and said, it's so good to see you. And it rang in my ears. He's gone many years. But that's true with all of us too. And I think this is probably one of the reasons that David was the man he was. He would love his enemies. He would do something that was the most amazing thing to bless someone else. But here David was, was just coming. We linger in this. In your light, though, Lord, we're going to see light. Oh, continue, David says, your loving kindness to those who know you. Lord, I, I don't want you to let that go. It's almost like for a moment, he said, Lord, I'm going to direct you. Don't let it go. It's so special. And your righteousness to the upright in heart. Lord, keep your righteousness flowing. Let not the foot of pride come upon me. And let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. And I linger there because it's interesting where he put pride there. He didn't say, don't let the mountain of pride come upon me, the foot of pride. It's like, don't let me stumble over the sun. Because, because it is so deadly. It is so subtle. The way it is clothed has so many kinds of attractions. The sad thing is that often it's closed in religious good intent that looks outwardly so good, but it is so wrong because God didn't get the glory. And David just simply said, don't let the foot of pride come upon me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. And notice this, David has been on the mountain. Notice he, he chose to go to the mountain, though. He thought of God. He went to the mountain. He saw his greatness, his glory, his magnificence. He got up there. He looked out and saw how far that mountain of God was blessing in so many ways. And now he says, Lord, don't let the wicked drive me away, okay? Don't, I'm going to give us this just to think about. Uh, Lord, keep me from engaging in that that causes me to sin. Maybe you've been here before. Uh, over Christmas, God gave us a special gift. This gift was a brother that just always wished that I was still in his church preaching, okay? He hasn't let go seven years or whatever. I'll get a letter. Here comes the letter. But in it was this little bait, okay? It's the hook that goes out with the, with the worm. Bite. 
bite, bite. I give us this to think about, about it like this. Don't bite the bait Satan puts in front of you. It may not be what we first think it is. Sometimes it may be like David with Bathsheba and Satan put that there. It, but it may be just that desire to prove I'm right. It's subtle and it's deadly. And here David just simply says, Lord, don't let the hand of the wicked drive me away. Help me not. You know, to this, for, for those of you, how many, how many of you here like sports? I mean, how many? I'm just curious. I like sports. I mean, but you know, you know one of the ways that, uh, you know, one of the ways that the opposing team, just like here's the bowl games, and if you're a lineman or you're a linebacker, you know how you're really doing it. You're getting in the head of your opposition. I don't know what all they're saying there, but it's not always glorifying God, guaranteed, guaranteed. And I know that because I was there one time. But at the same time, what their goal is, is to get in the head of that individual and they will lose their reason and their ability to calmly and directly deal with what is in front of them and respond properly. Once you lose that, and that little enemy called anger drops in to the human heart, we lose that ability. It's gone. Because the Word of God says it clearly in James that the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. Once we get angry, God says, you're on your own. I'll be here. I'll wait for you. I love you. But other, and, and David just simply saying, Lord, don't let, the, don't let the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the doers of iniquity have fallen. They have been thrust down and they can't rise. And Lord, I've seen this. I've seen these people be driven away. You have too. You know, I'm amazed sometimes at what little it takes for the enemy to catch us with his bait. It, it doesn't take a lot. He just throws out a little, puts a little salmon egg for those of you who are fishermen, some little thing. Just, just take a bite. Stop. You're, you're engaged in the wrong warfare. Paul was speaking about being a warrior, but the word of God speaks about being in the right battle. You can get in the wrong battle real quick. You can jump over into the wrong line really fast. And David is simply saying, Lord, I, I want to be here. And, and I really get this picture as we're looking at this, and we're just going to jump for a couple verses in Psalms 37 before we wrap it up, that David's saying, Lord, I've enjoyed the mountain. I've came to the mountain. I have saw your riches, your glory, your magnificence. I saw how far it goes. I don't want to leave it. I don't want others to leave it. And I really think that should be the heart of God's people for the church of God. The power of this church is men and women rising to the mountain of God. This is the power. It's not who's teaching. It's not who's leading in worship. It's not how many people are here. It's the men and women. I believe Stuart in one of his prayers tonight, we're praying, says, or no, is Andy. He said, it isn't in numbers. It's in the heart of the people. And we can lose that really quickly. It can, it can just escape us. And, and really quickly, we're going to jump into Psalm 37 because next week we'll be in 37. And 
And David, uh, he comes back though. See, these, 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 these chapters aren't just what was there. They were put in by the translators. So David is there, Lord, don't let the heart of the wicked draw me away. Help me not to engage. Keep me in your in your goodness and in your glory and in your, in your magnificence at all times. And then he says, oh Lord, do not fret. Now he begins to exhort us. He, do not fret. Now the word fret is an interesting word. It has, it has several types of references, but one is even anger. Don't allow anger to overcome you because of evildoers and do not be envious toward wrongdoers. And once again, David is saying, okay, we're, we want to stay in the mountain. Okay, we want to be up there with God. We want to see his glory and his magnificence, see his hand. We want to see what he's doing in the church, outside of the church, in the world, everywhere. And David is saying, now don't fret because of evildoers. Don't let what someone else is doing take you away from your beautiful calling to worship God. Don't allow someone else's decisions to rob you of joy and peace. Don't be envious toward wrongdoers. He now he speaks of fretting, now envy. And once again, it could be like, well, how come they can get away with that? And David, and he's gonna, he's gonna go right to it. And he says, they will, they will wither quickly like the grass. And David is simply saying, they're going to get cut down. God works. God is an amazing God because his justice, though, is also a part of his character. He is loving. He is kind. He is forgiving, but he is just. But he also is the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. But God's justice will demand man pain for his unrighteousness. The word of God says in Ezekiel, the soul that sins will die. The word of God says, don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, they're going to reap. And if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. You sow to the spirit, you'll reap of the spirit. And David says, so remember this, they're going to wither. God will speak to them. But if you can notice with me, David is saying, let God do the speaking. Don't fret. If there's one thing that, um, that God has taught me in ministry in the years is, when I was a younger guy, I'm, I'm a pretty fast mover at times. I, that was life. And I would be right there at the door. I would be, why did you do that? And then God began to say, you know, why don't you just take that to, to me? I'll do it better than you will. I'll do it way better than you. And I began to take it to him more. I'd grab the phone. Why did they do that? Call another pastor. Why don't you just let, take it to me? Let me work with this. That's what Jesus did. The word of God says that when he was even reviled, he didn't revile again. He suffered. He didn't threaten. He just committed himself to him who ju judged righteously. But here's what David did give us. I'm going to leave us here tonight because he did say, but I want to give you a way to keep from fretting, from, from being envious of, or becoming angry about all of this or becoming diverted from, in the wrong track. And notice in verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Okay, there it is. Trust in God. Do good. Notice 
The trust here he's speaking here is not passive, it's active. Do good. Trust in God and do good. Okay, I'm going to bless. You know, Jesus even said one time, you love your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. Forgive them. And here he says, Dwell, trust in the Lord, do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. You know, there's a lot of times we say, Lord, I can't solve that. I can't solve that. I don't know how to, you know, right in this church. I mean, uh, why don't, there's many, many times it would surprise most people that we don't know what to do, but we know God does. So we just keep trusting the Lord. We'll say, God, we don't have the answer, but you do. And this is what David's saying. Trust in the Lord. You do good. While you're there, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Notice all those tags he gives us really quickly. Dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness. Be faithful to me. Let me work out and fight the battles and work it through. But notice what else he's there. It's not like, well, okay, I'm going to trust in God. No, the Christian life is meant to be a place of rejoicing. It's a place to, to seek God in the mountains. Notice this next verse, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Enjoying, praising, just have a good time in Jesus, whatever that means. You know, another problem we Christians can have a problem with is, is I've noticed this. I remember uh, years ago walking in a grocery store, and here was a sister I knew, and she was in there kind of bawling out the guy, t turning something back. I realized, you know, it hit me. So often we don't get the, we don't allow ourselves the power and privilege of emulating joy where we are. And here David is simply saying, notice what he's saying, delight yourself in the Lord. God's faithful, he's good. He's won the battle. He, you know, he's won the battle. He's on our side, one with God as majority. And he says, he'll give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself, he's going to bless you. It doesn't mean he's going to give you what you want. He'll give you what you need. And then you'll finally get back. You'll say, but Lord, that's what I really was in my heart. I just didn't know it. He gives you the desires of your heart. And then, and then notice this, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do it. Commit and trust. Notice how many tags he gives us really quick. Trust, dwell in the land, delight yourself, commit your way, trust in him, and he will do it. And notice how he ends this. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as an envy. And he's simply saying, when you do this, God is going to overflow his blessings. God's an amazing giving God. This relationship of giving and receiving is so lopsided. It's, it's just totally lopsided. We are the recipients of so much. But here the word of God says, when you choose to do this, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I know some of you have special places this week he's taking you. And say, Lord, I'm going to trust you through this. But as I trust you, I want to partake of your goodness and dwell in your land, okay? I want to be there. That means keep reading your Bibles. Get that quiet time. Go over and talk to the neighbor. Do what you know to do, wherever you're at. And then, and, and then notice what, and then commit your way to him. Lord, I want your way. I want you to take me, my will. I want it to be your will. I want you to take me. Trust in him, and he will do it. And then he says, here comes the blessing, your righteousness. He will bring forth your righteousness like light and your judgment like the noonday. He will just overwhelm you. And this is the God we are privileged to speak of tonight in worship.
is a God, an overwhelming, abounding God. He's kind of like, we don't see the deer always here, but uh, we were, Deb and I was riding bicycles one day there, and all of a sudden, here's these deer just all through this one person's yard. And, you know, you ever notice how they can just bound over the top of a fence? You know, it's like there's no fence. And that's really what the Word of God is teaching here. As we trust in God and we give it to God, he gives us strength that is impossible apart from him. And here comes the blessing. Here comes God's glory. And we're able to live for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you have intersected with us in so many places, even tonight. I know, Lord, you've spoken to my heart and you've spoke to every heart here. You teach us what you want, and Lord, just keep us close to you. Keep us very close to you throughout this week. May we just experience your fullness, your presence. Just enjoy you, Lord. You're an amazing God. Your faithfulness is so great. When we think of the heavens that you've created, we just say, what is man that you would even be mindful of us? But you are, Lord, and we thank you for that because you're God and you're who you say you are. You're also a covenant-keeping God. You keep your word. You keep in your faithfulness. You stand firm at all places. So we may you bless everyone that's here, Lord, and bless our week, which is really your week. You just give us a little measure of time. So we want to give it back to you and just live for you. Thank you, Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, but I went, also I had one little announcement Pastor Brad gave me right before I popped in here, and, and just the, if there's anyone here available tomorrow morning at, at 9 o'clock to help take down the nativity scene, uh, we want to take it down in the morning at 9, we need a few, little, few more people to help, and so anyone that was, could be available would be greatly appreciated right here at 9 o'clock in the morning. God bless you, have a great week.